Um, I think a lot of you would say to me, maybe if no one else was around, maybe not to me, maybe to somebody you really trusted, uh, that there's not a lot of victory. Like the actual experience of your life um, is more like slavery to something and not like freedom in Jesus' name and not like power in Jesus' name. Um, And so that's hard. That's difficult. Um, Because I think I lived in that for a really long time. Uh, and even when I was a pastor, I lived in that. Like, I could get up and tell you some cool things about Jesus, and I could get up and talk about things I learned in the Bible, but when I, like, just went, like, when I was honest with myself, there was, I didn't know what they were talking about when the Bible talked about power in Jesus' name. I was like, is that, like, like a superhero? Like, I'll fly? Or I'll be, like, Wolverine? And I'll have claw, I, you know, I'm like power. Like, what is that about? Like, the only, the only cognate, the only way I have to understand that is like superheroes. So I'm like, that can't be it. So then I'm like, I don't have any idea what that means at all. Um, and so I, I think if you were honest, you, you would say that your life is more like a very difficult battle with one or two things in particular. And you are convinced that you're on the losing end of that battle. You're on the defeated end of that battle, and you might be convinced that there is no freedom from what you're experiencing until the the day Jesus returns or until you die and go to heaven. And so you're sort of like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and I believe in that whole thing, and I'm going to be saved and good deal, um, but I'm just going to have to deal with this. This is part of being a human. This is part of living in a broken world or whatever. You just become convinced that you should be at the end of a losing struggle your whole life until you die or until Jesus returns. Um, And so I don't want you to believe that and then come in here and sing about there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. It seems odd and it seems, well, it seems really sad and, uh, and I don't think you have to live in that life. I don't think you take a magic Jesus pill in all your life. Uh, everything is fine after that. I don't think that's the case either. But I do think you should struggle well. I do think that there should not be slavery to things in your life. I do think that you should have power in Jesus' name over these things inside of you that you just can't get a grip on and you just can't get a handle on and that you should struggle with them well. You should be in the fight and not on the losing end of that fight. Um, and so tonight, that's what I want to talk about. I want to, where, where does the Bible even talk about the power in Jesus' name? And so I want to look at this text in Ephesians. It's Ephesians 1. Oh, we're going to start in verse 15. He really talks about it all the way to the end of chapter 2, but we're not going to go that far. Um, I just want to hit the, the major parts of this. So as you're turning there, I just want you to think. I want you to sort of be honest with yourself. So if you're confused about what I mean by these internal struggles, if you're confused about what I mean about uh, the losing end of a battle, just see if any of this sort of clicks in. Um, and, and a lot of this I can, I can tell you because I've wrestled with it myself, not all of them, but definitely some of them. Um, so some of those difficult battles, uh, one major one is uh, insecurity. Uh, you, you desperately need the affirmation of the people around you that you are willing to conform your life into whatever you perceive them to want. So you're not confident in yourself, or you're not confident in your relationship with the Lord, and so this sort of insecurity just sort of drives 
everything about your life. You're not, all you really know is that you need affirmation from people. You need to be loved and accepted and known by people. And you know that's a real actual need. It's not a problem. That's a real actual need. But the problem is, is that when it, that, that becomes such a driving force that you seek it from the humans around you. And what they say about you is either very crushing or very elevating to you. And so insecurity can be this very, very destructive thing that you entertain for most of your life and nobody else around you sees it. Because if you're good at giving people what they want, you stay affirmed. And if you're bad at giving people what they want, then you run from community and you isolate yourself. And so most people might not ever really know that insecurity is one of those things that deep inside you just desperately need the affirmation of the people around you. You're willing to do whatever it takes. And sometimes, oddly enough, this looks like pride. You don't want people to see you as insecure, so you overplay your hand and you're this very forward, confident, prideful individual because that's better than being a weak, incompetent, insecure individual. And nobody will ever see that. You'll just sort of bounce around through life looking for affirmation, but deep inside you know that your bones are rotting away because you're not affirmed. You're not fully resting in the affirmation that comes from the Lord. And that's just one. I, there's so many other. Anger. I, I have a feeling that some of you wrestle with anger at such a level that you don't want it to be there, but whenever your expectations are not met, or whenever the people around you don't do the things that you think they ought to do, or you yourself don't live up to the expectations that you have placed on yourself, you become angry with the people around you, and you fly off the handle. And maybe not everybody sees it, but a couple people do. And so you're constantly feeling this overriding anger. And if you're a good Christian, you've learned how to suppress that and smile and be super pissed inside. But you can roll into church and everything is just, just fine. But you are holding down this incredible weight of anger and you don't know what to do with it and you don't know how to get rid of it. But whenever the cause of that anger comes around, it just comes leaking out and you don't know how to control it and you don't know what to do. And you become convinced that you're on the losing end of a battle with anger, or a battle with insecurity, eating disorders. This is oftentimes produced by one of those. You've got to conform your body into what it ought to look like to get the affirmation from the people around you. It's so common. It's, an, it's, it's the norm. It's standard issue around here. It's standard issue for college-age people to control what they eat to make their body look the way the world tells you your body ought to look. How destructive. And I'm not coming up here to say, you're so, you're so dumb and sinful, why can't you figure it out? This bondage, it comes from deep hurts and deep wounds that you just don't understand. How does Jesus heal this? How do I find freedom in Jesus' name over this? Is there really power in Jesus' name? Uh, sexual desires. S standard issue. 
I bet there's like 1% of the guy population who is not struggling with that. They just can't get past it. And you, every time you do it, every time you look at something you, you don't want to look at, every time you do something you don't want to do, whether it's to yourself or to uh, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, every time you tell yourself, I'm not going to do that again, uh, and you feel the guilt and you feel the shame and you feel it and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't like that, I'm never going to do that again. And so you set yourself up against it and three days later your body takes over and you do the same exact thing that you've done for the last five years and nothing really changes, and then we come in here and sing about power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Can those chains be broken? And I want to say the text says yes. The text says yes. And we can walk in that. But we've got to be taught how to walk in that. And then one last thing that I want to say that all of these typically find their point in where these all typically lead to is self-hatred. Where these always go is self-hatred. Because you will wrestle and you'll wrestle and you'll wrestle and you'll wrestle and you'll come to church and hear people like me tell you you need to be better, you need to do better, you need to think better thoughts, you need to do better things, you need to be barren fruit, or whatever scripture that we use. And all you're saying is the only thing that comes out of my life is pain and insecurity and anger. And sometimes I could put on a face that looks a little better, but deep inside I know that my bones are rotting away. Why can't I be different? Why can't I change? And so all these things that need to be healed and don't get healed turn into self-hatred. And that is the last step. That's a sad last step, and it sucks. But many of us are here because we've accepted a very shallow truth about Believing in Jesus gets us to heaven, but we have no idea what it looks like to walk in Jesus on a daily basis, to stand against the attacks that are coming against us, that are ruining our lives. And who cares about the hell to come because we live in a hell right now? And so, what about power in Jesus' name? And then the last thing I'll say, if you've never felt that tension, that's beautiful. But I think a lot of you do. A lot of you are wrestling with that, and then you come in here, or you get around a small group of people, and there's this tension. Because the Bible says these things. The songs say these things. There's other people that live this other life that look so great and so beautiful and so right with the Lord, and you're like, God, what the heck is going on? But you know you're not supposed to be mad at God. So you're like, okay, maybe this is my cross to bear. We come up with some scripture to like justify. And so there's this crappy tension that's only turning into more anger towards yourself and towards God because you can't walk in the life that you want to walk in. So, uh, same thing in my life. I was insecure from the time I was can remember. I needed, I needed affirmation from all the people around me when I was in high school. I needed affirmation, needed affirmation. So my insecurity led to self-hatred by way of addiction uh, so that because I was insecure, I was like, well, if I can party and do crazy things 
and smoke weed and do coke and do all these things that I can tell cool stories about when I get back to school. And people are like, well, this guy's crazy, bro. I know we can get some weed from him, bro. And so it's like I'm doing all these things that are, yeah, they're sort of fun and they hide uh, and they diminish these feelings that I have. They definitely diminish these feelings. And they're sort of a fun time sometimes. But it's all to cover this insecurity that's just leading to more and more destructive habits. Until I'm waking up every single morning being like, is this what life is about? Is this where life goes? Is this it? Did God create me for this? And luckily in my life, God sent along someone who told me, no, it doesn't. And here's how you walk in that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so let's get to Ephesians and let's walk this out, right? Okay. Uh, Ephesians 1, we're going to start in verse 15. Uh, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith. So Paul is talking to the Ephesian church. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. If you ever read Paul, you should be confused. He uses too many words to say ideas that... I just wish he would break them down. I feel like he does it on purpose. He's like, how can I make this idea sound longer? I don't get it. I don't understand him. Uh, Basically what he's saying, for this reason, I heard of your faith in Jesus, and I've heard that your faith is producing love towards other believers, so I'm seeing that your faith is genuine, and I'm praying to God and giving thanks for that. That's all he had to say. Seeing you're a really believer. I'm seeing you're a true Christian, and I'm happy. That's all he had to say. Um... So I do not cease to give thanks for you, and I'm remembering you in my prayers. He's talking to this Ephesian church uh, that he basically planted and started and loves these people. This is a good church when he's writing this church. He's happy about what's going on at this church. And he says, so this is what I'm praying for you, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, so God, the Father of glory, would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then he's going to go on and explain three things that that knowledge looks like. So I want you to have wisdom and revelation in your knowledge about God. I want you to know some things about God, but not just this mental cognition about God, but I want you to know God in this relational way. And then he's going to chop out three things that he wants you to know about God and your relationship with him. Uh, So spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know, so here's the know, this is what the three things you got to know. One, what is the hope to which he has called you? So what is the hope? What are we hoping for? Um, and then the second thing, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Not going to go there, probably don't even know what that means, um, and that's okay. Uh, and then verse 19, this is the third of the three things that he wants us to know. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So when he says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, he's going to go on expounding and explaining what that power is, how it feels, what it looks like, and what it's done all the way until the end of chapter 2. So apparently, uh, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints was a cool idea, but having power 
in the name of Jesus is something that he really wants us to grab a hold of. So much so that he's going to spend the rest of this chapter and the rest of the next chapter explaining what that is. Okay, so what does he say? I, 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 what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So that power is only toward us who believe. So if you hear me talk more than for 10 minutes, I'm probably going to talk about this idea that what you believe coupled with what you consistently do, what you practice, will produce the results of your life. The results of your life are the product of what you believe and what you do. If you, uh, it, just give me 10 minutes. That's probably the first thing I'm going to tell you. Um, and it's, so, so when he says this power is only at work in those who believe, what is, we've been in John forever, John 21. I've written these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and the result of believing is what? Please tell me. I've brought these things you might believe in Jesus, some kind of believing you would have life. Right? The result will be life by what you believe. So let me show you an example of bad belief real quick. You were taught that you're saved from hell by believing that Jesus saves you from hell. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you're saved from hell by believing that Jesus is Lord. That's why for the last, I don't know how long, we've been talking about submission to the Lord. Are you submitted to the Lord? Is everything in your life on the table before the Lord? Are you submitted to Him as Lord? You, salvation doesn't come by believing that Jesus gives salvation. That doesn't make sense. Salvation comes as we believe that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is Lord. So he's saying this power is at work in us who believe. Who believe what? That Jesus is Lord. So if you don't believe Jesus is Lord, or if you functionally don't believe Jesus is Lord, if you're not submitting your life to the Lord and saying, you get to drive, you get to tell me what to do, you get to pick my job, you get to pick my spouse, you get to pick how I treat my girlfriend, you get to pick, you get to do it all, there's no power. And so we hinted to that two weeks ago. There is no salvation without submission. And that's hard for Americans to hear. Because y'all are individuals. And you get to do whatever you want with your life. And you do. But there will be no freedom and there will be no power in Jesus' name over the stuff that is turning your life inside out and breaking you down without submission to the Lord. Not because he likes people to be submitted to him, but because he loves you and cares for you and knows that the only thing that will bring you life is him because he created life. And he created everything about this life. And he wants you back. And he wants you to walk with him in freedom and in joy and not in bondage. So we hit on submission all the freaking time here. Because without submission, there's just not life. And I lived for so much of my life dead that I want to see y'all alive. So, let's keep going. Let's keep going. I'm going to get bogged down in this if we don't. Uh, okay, so, uh, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? 
So he's going to go on and show you what this power has done in Jesus. You're going to see two things that this power does in Jesus. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's the first thing. And then seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So this power did two things. It raised a dead man to life, and then it took that dead man who was raised to life and seated him at the right hand of the Father. And then where? what is so special about being seated in heavenly places? Well, it's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then he put everything under his feet. And then he gave this being, Jesus, who is head over all things, who has authority over all things, over all powers, over everything. He gives this being to the church, the worldwide global body of those who believe that Jesus is Lord. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is not just this thing that he's head of, but which is his body. He loves and cares for his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So let's see. He says, I want you to know the power that's at work in you. Let me show you the first thing this power did. It raised the dead man to life, and then it seated him at the right hand of the Father, far above all the other rules and powers and authorities in this age and in the one to come. This is going to hit home very soon, right? And then he says, in you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What Paul is doing here, he's going to mirror what he just said about Christ. He's going to mirror what he said about Jesus with you. He's going to say, this power did this thing in Jesus, and then it did this thing in you. And, and you, you see that. So he said, Jesus was dead, it raised him to life. What's verse 2? You were dead. In the same way you were dead. But here's where this lands. Here's where this hits home. You were dead because of what? Because you were under the authority and the power of three things. The prince of the power of the air, the course of this world, and the desires of your flesh. The three powers that are at work against us. And you don't call them that. What you call them is insecurity, anger, eating disorders, depression, self-hatred. That's what it feels like to you. That's what it feels like to you. The prince of the power of the air, the demonic realm, Satan, is taking this world down a specific path. He has authority over the direction that this world is going. Humans were supposed to have authority over the way the world was going, but we forfeited that authority in Genesis 3. Jesus is trying to even rescue us to give us back the authority over that world, but that's a different sermon. The important point is this world is going down a certain path, and you feel the insecurity, you feel the brokenness, you feel the anger because you're under the authority of the demonic realm, of the world and its lies, and then your flesh who is just happy to walk along and believe those lies. So let me show you just one example. Our specific world, the, the world that we live in, so I'm not talking about the, the world world, I'm talking about the world we live in, America, southern United States, has specific rules, has specific guidelines 
for what an attractive woman looks like. And you will see this if you turn on the news, if you go to the grocery store, you're going to see magazines, and it's going to talk about how you can look a certain way. I can look a certain way. How do you look a certain way? Here's how you look a certain way. If you don't look a certain way, you're not going to be happy. And so there's just constant screaming at you that if you don't look a certain way, you're not going to be happy. And it's inevitable, it's inevitable that you look at that, and maybe it takes 20 times, or maybe it takes one, and you're like, I don't look like that. I need to look like that. And so what happens? You begin working your butt off. You begin striving and striving and working and working to conform your body to the image of what this world says it should look like. Not because of anything other than you find and you believe that there's going to be acceptance when you get there that one day the world's going to stop and everybody's going to look and say, yes, you made it, you've done good. And that never, ever, 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 ever happens. And so you keep on and keep on and keep on. And that's just one of a million different ways that our world says, do this, look like this, walk like this, look like this. And if you don't look like this, there's no acceptance, there's no happiness, there's nothing for you. So your job... Our world says that you better go to kindergarten, then you better go to high school, then you better go to college. When you get out of college, you better make sure you find a job that pays the most money so that you can go get a job where you work and work and work and work and work and save a little, save a little, save a little so you can retire and travel. Therein lies happiness. Talk to your parents. Get, I don't know if they'll be honest with you, but they might be. Some of them may be going through midlife crisis because it's not paying out. It's not doing what it was supposed to do. So our world has so many lies about what makes for happiness, what makes for pleasure, what makes for a good life. And it's not like America got together and decided, okay, what are we going to come up with? No, the demonic realm has been guiding that from the very, very, very beginning. And the desires of our flesh are happy to play along because it looks like gold. It looks like it'll pay out. It looks like it makes sense. So, but you were dead. You were powerless and unable to respond to anything because of these three powers at work against you. Oh, the one I wrote down. I'm just going to say it because it sucks so bad. Watching Dateline and now this thing with high school, with high school girls called the thigh gap that if you don't have a gap between your thighs, that you're not skinny enough. And so all of these girls in high school are now not eating on a regular basis because they need to have their legs be a certain size because therein is acceptance. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That is so terrible. Who came up with that? Who came up with that? But we're just happy to take the bait and go along. You were dead. Okay, but God, right? So here we go, this beautiful verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Okay, he's going to mirror what he did in Jesus in us. Uh, it raised us up, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he's saying in the heavenly places again because he wants you to remember, what's the last time we talked about the heavenly places? Oh, he said he raised Jesus above, above every authority and power and name that is named in this age and the one to come. And we just saw at the beginning of chapter 2 that it is the powers of the demonic realm, the world, and your flesh that have been actively torturing you into this lifestyle so the feelings of insecurity the feelings of anger the self-hatred whatever it is that you feel that you can't break free from is really is a powerful thing that has power over the direction of your life but not after you believe in Jesus and begin to walk in the authority that he has given because he's not just given it the Holy Spirit gives it because we have been raised with Him and seated above all of the powers in this age and in the one to come. So from a theological basis, which is only partially good for you, and from a theological basis, the, the Holy Spirit has been given to you for self-control and you have power over your flesh, you have power over the demonic realm, and you have power over the world so long as you don't give them power by believing the lies that they tell you, because that's all they have now is lies. That's all they have now is lies. You have been seated with Christ in heavenly places far above every other thing in the known universe, namely the demonic realm, the world, and your flesh. So if you are in a losing battle with your flesh, it's partly because you believe you don't have the power to shake it. And so this begins, this starts, breaking free from what you were in, begins and starts by the first thing, you believing, you believing that you do have authority and that you do have power. While you may have been a victim and you may have been victimized by what's going on, you are not a victim now. And until you take up the authority that has been given to you in Jesus' name and learn to walk in that authority, there can be no freedom. There can be no power and there can be no life. So you do have the authority. The first place we go is we don't look at our experiences to define our belief. We first, even when our experiences are telling us something completely different, we go to the scriptures and the scriptures say you have authority in Jesus' name. You have power in Jesus' name. You have been seated with Jesus above all of the other powers. And the ones that you specifically feel like insecurity and anger and guilt and shame and all of these sorts of things. So it begins, it begins, it begins as you recognize the authority and the power that you have. In his name. That's where it begins. And it's walked out as we confront the lies that we are believing. Not just the specific lies that entangle you on a daily basis, but this one great big lie that you are powerless to change anything about your life. you will slowly fall into that belief because experience time after time has told you that. But we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith, by belief. So this is where it starts. There's, a, there's the theological explanation. There's the biblical explanation. There's, there's that. But how do you take that and connect that to life? 
how do you take that and connect that to your day-to-day life? Uh, and so this is going to look two ways. One of those we're going to walk through tonight. And then the second one, uh, we're going to have a Q&A after this. So if this is something you're dealing with and thinking about, uh, and this is sort of like, okay, I sort of see that, but this doesn't make sense, or I'm sort of confused by this, I want to sort of answer as many questions as are raised by this. So uh, after this, during the meal, go grab your meal and then come over to the uh, chapel. Uh, I'll have some, somebody pointing the way to there. If, if this has raised questions, I want you to know we're going to do just a question and answer. You don't have to tell your whole life. Uh, but if you do have some questions, if you've raised ideas, I want to talk about those. And we're going to talk about how you stand on a daily basis against these lies, what that looks like. But you can't stand until you've been broken free. So Galatians 5.1 says it's for freedom that you were set free. So stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. What has happened in most of our lives is that we've believed that Jesus will take us to heaven. We've never been taught how to stand in his name. And so we've been submitted again to a yoke of slavery. We're not walking under the yoke of Jesus, which is easy and light. We're walking under the yoke of slavery, walking under the yoke of some sort of slavery. And so tonight, what I want us to do, J.D. is going to lead a few more songs here in a bit. I just want to give us the opportunity. But the way we begin to break free from the bondage that is wrapping itself around us is so very simple. We confess, we repent, and we believe. And then we learn how to stand in his name on a daily basis. But it starts by verbally confessing, repenting, and believing. So what does that look like? I'm going to do this very quickly. Um, I, I, I want to make this clear. It is always best that you walk through some of this stuff verbally, right? Huh. We're not looking to confess behaviors. We're looking to confess underlying lies that have produced behaviors. So what I said a minute ago about the lies that the world tells you about the way you ought to look and how you ought to be and how you ought to act to be accepted by the people around you. So you do things that you know aren't in line with what God would want you to do, but there's something producing those actions. And the thing producing those actions are beliefs about yourself and about God that are not right. And so confession begins as we say, Father, I've believed this about you or I've believed this about me, and it's not true. And we say what it is. We verbally confess, Father, I've done this because I believed this. I work and work and work and work and work. I read my Bible and it does nothing. I pray and it does nothing because I believed that you would accept me because of my performance. You see what I mean? So you will work and work and work and try, to, try your best to look like a good Christian because you believe deep down that God is happier with you when you read the Bible and pray. And the belief that Scripture tells us is that you're accepted by God because of what Jesus has done, not you. That there's nothing that you can do that would separate you from his love. So all of your failure and guilt and shame has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And that you can walk freely into your father's arms and rest in his love because of what Jesus did. You see where I'm going here? So confessing these underlying things. Um, and if, if this doesn't readily come to your mind, like, oh, I can see where that I can see this belief leads to this. That's, 
That's why we have like that's part. That's why we have men's and women's ministry. This is why we have you meeting with older men and older women who you can say this is going on, and they can say I see that. Have you thought about this? And they can walk you through confession and repentance and belief. I want to make time tonight, though, if there's any of that going on, and you can sort of see what that is. So I, I want to make it clear now. If you're feeling that, but you're not really sure where this is coming from, and you want to talk to somebody. Take that card and fill it out and just put your name and say, I need to talk to somebody older than me, something like that. Just put it on there and, and we'll make contact for you. But like I said, I want to walk through a bit of this tonight as we are able and we have the opportunity to because it's good to do this among the people of God. Okay, so confessing these underlying beliefs. Repentance is just agreeing with God that that's not right. And then belief is just saying, Father, I've been believing this about you, but I believe this. Even though experience doesn't say that, even though my feelings don't say that, the Word of God says it, and so I'm going to stand on it regardless of how I feel about it right now. Confession, repentance, belief. That's how we begin to break ties with the bondage that can wrap us up. That's where it starts. And like I said, I want to meet afterwards during the meal, after we get done praying. I want to meet afterwards. You want to... Because you can confess, repent, believe once, but if you're not learning how to stand on a daily basis, you'll fall back into it in four days because you don't know how to see these lies and work against the enemy who's working against you. Uh, so tonight I want to make time. There's going to be people over here. Kyle's going to be over here. Uh, Kevin and Michelle are going to be over here. I think Emily's going to be up here. Um, if you want to pray with somebody about one of these things, if you want to pray that God would bring clarity in this stuff, uh, if you know, like, I can see this producing something in me, and I want to confess, repent, believe tonight, that's, that's what these people are here for. We're going to worship for a couple more songs, uh, and then Joe's going to get up and dismiss us. Uh, if you know some of that stuff right now, and you're not comfortable coming up here, find somebody who's in your community group. Grab somebody and pray. Like, grab somebody that you know and that you trust. You don't always have to go to people you don't know. If you'd rather go to somebody you don't know, that's cool, too. Um, but all of that being said, this is not a place where we sing at God and I preach at you. This is a place where we meet with God and ask the Holy Spirit to show us how to let go of some of this stuff and to walk in power in his name because it is possible and it will happen. That is his desire for you because you are his children and he loves you.